Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning back to Luke chapter 15. You'll find that chapter on pages 874 and 875 of the Blue Pew Bibles. 874 over into 875. Uh, We're going to read the parable of the prodigal son again together this morning. Last Sunday evening, we thought about the first half of this parable, and this morning, we're going to think about the second half of the parable, but we're going to read it all just to remind ourselves of the whole story and of how it flows and is knitted together as a story that Jesus tells. So Luke 15, we're beginning at verse 11 and we're reading down to verse 32. And this is God's word to us. And he, that is Jesus, he said, there was a man who had two sons And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants. And asked what these things meant. And he said to him. Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15, uh, pages 874 and 875 of the Pew Bibles. And let's pray together before we look at the scriptures just now. As we have sung, Lord, so we would pray that you would bring new life, that you would renew our hearts, 
that you would give us faith for what we cannot see or understand and that you would cause us to hunger for your ways. We pray that you would speak to us as we look at the second half of this famous parable together and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're finishing what we started last week, uh, last Sunday morning and evening. We looked at Luke 15. Uh, We got as far as verse 24. Uh, This morning we're looking at the rest of the chapter, verses 25 to 32. Uh, This is a really terrific chapter which has a lot to teach us about the heart of God for sinners, and we're going to see that again together this morning. In Luke 15, there are three parables the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the two sons. Uh, we might call the parable, the, the third parable, the parable of the, of the two lost sons. Uh, everything Jesus talks about in this chapter is lost. Uh, and the point that he's making by telling these stories is that God loves to find lost things. Uh, the stories of two sons are told in verses 11 to 32. Uh, we normally call this parable the parable of the prodigal son, but that's probably not the most accurate title. It's a tale of two sons, a younger son and an older son. In a way, it's a story that reminds us of the disputed truth that the eldest, that eldest children are superior, or at least we think we are anyway. If you're like me in that you're the eldest in your family, you'll know what it's like to be the responsible one, what it's like to be like a third par- parent at some, in some cases. You'll know what it's like to be the one that everyone runs to when they're in a spot of bother, in a spot of bother or in a spot of trouble. There's a theory that your place in your family determines your personality. Uh, An Austrian psychologist called Alfred Adler uh, first wrote about it in the 1870s, but it burst into our cultural mindset a few decades ago. The theory goes something like this. If you are a bossy perfectionist and you like to order people around, well, you're clearly the firstborn. If you're a self-centered snowflake who can't deal with difficult things, you're the youngest child. You're, if you're either a peacemaker, a troublemaker, or the funny one, well, you're the middle child. Do you recognize any of those personality traits in yourself or in your family? That uh, description of the firstborn, uh, perfectionist, bossy perfectionist, you like to order people around. I have to say, I find that very, very convicting. Uh, this theory was actually officially rejected by some major studies that found that, that gender gaps, age gaps, and uh, parental influence are far more likely to affect personality. But it's still fun to play the which child are you game. And even though I'm a bit biased because I'm the eldest in my family, we all know that deep down the eldest child is the superior one. And that was certainly the mindset of the older brother in the parable that Jesus tells in verses 11 to 32. He, He may not have been reading the latest psychology on personality traits But there's a very real sense in which he believed himself to be morally and spiritually superior to his younger brother. And you remember from last time that the younger brother demanded his inheritance from his father before his father died. He got what he wanted, cut ties with his family, traveled to a far country and embraced a wild and reckless lifestyle. But his money ran out, his friends ran off and he was left alone, isolated and unemployed. He lost his money, he lost his freedom, in that he hired himself out, and he lost his self-respect, in that he ended up feeding pigs. 
Jesus tells us that the younger son comes to his senses. Uh, We said that this is a a human experience of salvation. The first two parables give us a picture of salvation from God's perspective, heaven's perspective. God seeks and searches and he's thorough and diligent as he searches. The, the, The younger son coming to his senses shows us what that is like in our lives Having come to his senses, the younger son returns home knowing that he can't be a son again, but in the hope that he will be a servant. The the response of his father is surprising, is that he he is welcomed and not chastised. The younger son is given a ring, a robe, and some sandals, and a a celebratory banquet as well. He's treated in a way that he doesn't deserve. The first part of the story reminds us of the way that God treats sinners When a sinner comes to their senses, when a sinner turns to God in repentance, God treats them with lavish love and compassion. Now, the thing to remember is that Jesus is speaking to tax collectors and sinners and also Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees and scribes are unhappy that Jesus is socializing with outcasts. And in response, he tells these three parables. The first part of the parable of the lost sons, the bit about the younger son, would have particularly encouraged the tax collectors and sinners. Here they are as rejects, outcasts, the worst of the worst. But here is Jesus telling them that if you come to your senses, if you repent and believe, there's a place for you in the family of God. Just as the younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners, so the older son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. Just as the younger son's story would have encouraged the tax collectors and sinners, so the older son's story would have challenged the Pharisees and scribes. Both are types of sinners, but they're just lost in different types of ways. What we're going to do this morning is similar to what we did last Sunday evening. We're going to look at the older brother and his reaction to his younger son's restoration. And then we're going to see how the tender father treats his older son. So that's our outline this morning. The older brother and then the tender father. First of all, let's think about the older brother. Look at verses 25 to 28. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. The scene in the parable switches in verse 25. Jesus tells us about the dutiful, sensible older brother. The picture that we're given is that he's working hard in the fields while his younger brother has been indulging himself in a wild, immoral, reckless lifestyle. What he was doing in the fields, we're not told, but many of you will know that working in fields is hard work. Here he is putting in the hours and over a period of minutes, he begins to hear the distant sounds of a party. The, the wind was perhaps blowing, the, the sound of clapping and cheering in his direction. There's a party happening somewhere, a party that he is yet to be invited to. The, the, the older son asks one of the servants about the music and dancing. Where, where's that sound coming from? Is there a party down the road or is it coming from our place? And the servant responds in the plainest of ways. He was probably unaware that what he was about to say would cause the reaction it did. But he simply tells the older son, your brother is back and your father is having a party. And for a second, the older son is speechless. He's back? Are you serious? 
He's, he's home, when, how, why, and they're having a party for, for he's back. The elder brother can't believe his brother's back. And as well as that, he won't join in the celebrations. The servant says, your brother has come and, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older son says, there is absolutely no way, absolutely no way I'm going anywhere near that party. He's back. They're having a party. I can't believe it. Anger works in, in different ways for different people. What are, you, what are you like when you're angry? Do you fly off the handle? Do you shout and roar? Or, or do you hold hostility, hostility quietly in your heart? You just go quiet and say nothing, but the silence says it all. I'm inclined to say that the older son was probably the quietly angry type. When he heard the news that his brother was back and that his father was having a party for him, he probably threw up the head, took himself off, and channeled his anger through whatever work he had been doing. The spade that he was digging into the ground went into the ground with just a little bit more force than it did before. The older son can't believe his brother is back. He won't join in the celebrations, but it's all because he doesn't understand grace. Look at the second half of verse 28 and then verses 29 and 30. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, th these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The, the, the word that you can use to summarize the, what, what the older brother says here is resentment. He resents lots of different things. He resents his life of service. Look, Dad, I have served you for years. I have slaved for you. A more literal translation of what he says is actually, I have slaved all these years for you. So he resents his service. He also resents his life of obedience. He says, I never disobeyed your command. Now that's a stretch. Has he really never disobeyed his father? Is he perfect? Of course he's not. There's a sense in which he's envious of the way his brother has lived. His younger brother has lived without rules while he has stayed at home worked hard and for the most part obeyed his father. It's almost, almost as though he begrudges the fact that his brother has indulged himself in the pleasures of sin. It's ridiculous to think in that way because look where the pleasures of sin took the younger brother, but it's a pretty scary place to be. Scrolling down your Instagram feed, looking at posts from friends you went to school with who are living their best life now, Best life now being code for an irresponsible, immoral, reckless lifestyle. L looking at the posts and thinking, I, I would love to live like that, but here I am stuck in this context. It's a pretty scary place to be. And there's a sense that, that that's what's going on in the older brother's heart. And he also resents his father's grace. Do you notice how he can't call his brother his brother? But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. When this son of yours, not when my brother, it's very cold. Now we can only assume that the older son hasn't heard the whole story of how his brother has repented and so on, but none of that matters because he doesn't stop to ask any of those questions. 
He doesn't say, did he explain himself? Did he say that he was sorry? What's he coming back as? None of that. It's all me, 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 I, I, I. He doesn't understand grace. That's what the father has shown the younger son, but the older son reacts against it. And that's what the Pharisees are doing, isn't it? Reacting against the grace that Jesus is showing to tax collectors and sinners. They don't like it. They, they, they resent it. To tax collectors and sinners aren't like them. They have their little religious club. If you don't follow their rules, then you can't come in. The, the, the point Jesus is making is if you think like this, if you act like this, you don't understand grace and you're lost as well. You're just as lost as the younger son. He's making the point that you can be a civilized, cultural, religious sinner and just be as lost as the irresponsible, immoral, reckless sinner. Think of the kinds of things that the older brother would have done. He would have been at synagogue every week, tick. He worked hard and outwardly respected his father, tick. He was a model example to others in the community. Parents would have said, why can't you be more like him down the road, tick. Here's a really challenging question to ask yourself. Does my heart in any way reflect the heart of the older brother? Does your heart in any way reflect the heart of the older brother? I'm only guessing here, but there are probably more older sons here than there are younger sons. I make that guess by the nature of many of our backgrounds, upbringings, and life so far. Our experience will have been like the older sons. Does your heart in any way reflect the heart of the older brother? Do you really understand what grace is? Are you resentful when it comes to serving, serving in Jesus' church? Do, do, do you resent having to live a life of obedience, purity, and integrity? Do, do you resent it when other people come to know God, experience grace, trust in Jesus? The, the, those are the kinds of questions that this parable makes us ask. You can be so close to religion that you actually miss grace. The grace of God that is reflected in the, in the father's response to both his lost sons. The grace of God that is revealed to us through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that's the older brother. Well, what about the tender father? Last week we thought about the younger son and the eager father. We've changed eager to tender because that's how the father is with the older son. He's, he's tender. And you can see that in this second half of the parable. First of all, the father comes out and speaks to his older son. Verse 28, but he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Just as the father was watching and waiting and looking for the younger son, so he goes out and seeks out the older son as well. Secondly, the father is tender in the way that he speaks to the older son. So look at verse 31. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Now, what's the tone of that? Is it, son, would you just wise up? You do as you're told. You'll get everything when I'm gone. But until then, just keep quiet and keep working hard. It's not at all. It's really tender. Son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. Son, or my child, as some versions have it, is this beautiful term of affection. There's a, a fatherly warmth here. The father loves both his sons. There's no favoritism. 
You, you are always with me. I, I really appreciate all that you do. I, I see the work that you do. I, I know you think it goes unnoticed, that you just assume that I think you'll work really hard, but, but I really appreciate it. That, that's what he's saying. All, all mine is yours. You, you're going to get what is rightfully yours one day. This place is as much yours as it is mine. If, if you need anything from me, all, all you have to do is ask. But the father doesn't avoid dealing with the eldest son's complaints. Look at verse 32. He says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I had to do this. We had to have a party. Your brother has come to his senses. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and he's been found. Now remember, the, the way the father responds to the younger son is the way God treats sinners. That means that the way the father responds to the older son is also the way that God treats sinners. How, how does God treat civilized, respectable, religious sinners? He, he treats them really tenderly. But first of all, he exposes their self-righteousness and pride. He exposes their sins in the same way that he exposes the sins of prodigals because at the end of the day, sin is sin and there are just different kinds of sinners. Well, what if you're here this morning and the story of the older son speaks to you in a way that the story of the, older, of the younger son doesn't? Well, what if you've lived an outwardly religious life but you've never actually come to the point where you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus. What should you do? Well, you should run to God. You should come to your senses and realize that religion and respectability are not and never will be the grounds on which God accepts you. The only way for you to know God is to repent and believe that Jesus has died in your place and has risen again so that you might have new life in him. How will God respond to you if you respond like that? Son, daughter, all that is mine is yours. You were dead, now you're alive. It's fitting for us to celebrate. God is a tender father and he calls those with hearts like prodigals and those with hearts like older brothers to come to him. The older brother, the eager father, a brilliant parable. The, the greatest short story in the world. The greatest five minutes of, sto of, of storytelling ever. Th three parables that have one simple point. God loves to find and save all kinds of lost sinners. All kinds. Different types. All, all of us, like the two sons in this parable, have turned our backs on God in, in hundreds of ways. And, and we've told him that we're doing things our way and not his. And Jesus engages Everyone, as he speaks in this chapter, men, women, young people, but, but by telling these parables, he presses people to think about where they stand before him. And he's not who people expect. God is not who people expect. We can understand that even more clearly by imagining what would have happened if the younger son had met his older brother before his father. Now, how would that have gone? Well, here's how it might have gone. This is sort of an alternative ending to the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son's running home when he sees someone approaching, running, almost sprinting in his direction. His arms look to be open wide in a, in a gesture of embrace. As the person came closer, he, he realized who it was. The younger brother realized who it was. It's his older brother. 
He must have been out working in the field when he spotted his younger brother coming home. Now as he got even closer, the younger son saw that his brother's arms weren't open in embrace. They were, stand, they were open in the universal gesture for stop. All of a sudden, the brothers are standing face to face. The older speaks first. What on earth are you doing back here? After all that you've done, how dare you come back? I know, I, I blew it, the younger replies. I know that I sinned, but I have nothing left. I have come to dad to ask if he let me be his servant. Do you know what you did to dad when you left? Do you know how embarrassed he was? He wants nothing more to do with you. He doesn't love you anymore. doesn't want you anymore. You're dead to him. I, I just want to talk to him. I just want to plead with him. He's been merciful to others before. Maybe he'll be merciful to me. Mercy? To you? You're a disgrace. I'm the future of this family. I've done everything Dad has asked of me. I've obeyed his every word. It's me he loves, not you. None of us will ever forget what you did. None of us will ever forget who you are. Younger brother begins to cry. And the tears are, are rolling down the side of his face. And his older brother speaks once more. Tell you what, you just march yourself back up that road. I don't want you to even think about coming back until you've cleaned yourself up, until you can reimburse dad with every single penny you've taken from him, then maybe, just maybe, he'd be willing to see you. Get out of here. Get out of here. You're lost. Don't come back until you've found yourself. You're right. I'll go. I'll, I'll clean myself up. I'll, I'll try to earn it all back. And if I do, I'll return and prove myself to dad. And at that, the younger son turned around, went back up the road, past the boundary of his father's land. His brother stood and watched him go with a smug, satisfied grin on his face. I think I'm going to throw myself a little party, he said. I deserve it. We, we might expect that God would treat us in that way. That's, that's the way we think God treats us. That's the way we think God operates. But thankfully, it's not how the gospel works. That's not how God actually operates. Praise God that Luke 15 speaks to us of the lavish, abundant grace of God. Jesus is our Lord and Savior and our older brother. Unlike the older brother in this parable, he will never forsake us. He isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. If we repent and believe in him, we will know him now and be with him forever one day. The thing about this third parable in Luke 15 is that we're left hanging as it ends. What does the elder brother do? His father invites him to come in. His father shows him tenderness and grace. How does he respond? Jesus leaves it open. He leaves us hanging. And that's the point. It's deliberate from Jesus. He leaves it open-ended so that you ask yourself the question, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to the invitation of the eager, tender father? Have you ever come to him? If you're a Christian here this morning, it's because God went on the hunt. What if you're not, though? 
will know this. No matter how low you may have sunk, God is an eager father. No matter how religious and obedient you think you are, God is a tender father. And he's ready to forgive all kinds of sinners if you would only turn to him. Have you ever repented? Have you ever turned to Christ? There would be joy in heaven today if you did. Maybe through this chapter, over this past week, God has been sweeping down the corridors of your life, speaking to you, challenging you, calling you to come to him. If that's the case, then turn to him this morning. Repent of your sin and experience his overflowing, ever-abundant, eager, tender grace. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for who you are and for how this chapter reveals something of your heart for sinners. We thank you so much that you eagerly and and tenderly receive prodigals and religious sinners, that you you receive sinners of, of all kinds, of all types. We thank you for Jesus, for how he has lived and died so that we might know you as our Father. And we pray that today we would run to you. Run to you for the first time. Run to you again if we've slidden back in our walk with you. That you would help us by your spirit to to walk in obedience to how you would have us to live. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray that you would fill our hearts with your love, your ever-abundant, all-satisfying, eager, tender love today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.